0: Hi, I'm Alad Gross. I'm a civil rights attorney, an educator, and a dog owner who's running for Missouri Attorney General. And welcome to the Alad Pod. On this episode, we have Christian Menefee, who is the Democratic nominee for Harris County Attorney in Texas. Harris County's big city is Houston. You might have heard of it. Christian and I went to law school together uh, over at WashU U in St. Louis. We talk about why our government desperately needs folks to be our advocate, whether that's in attorney's offices, in state government, federal government. We also talk about elections, uh, how it is running against folks who have been in power for a long time and ways that we can work together to fix our system. Hope you enjoy. We have Christian Menefee with us. I'm so excited to have him. This is going to be a wonderful show, knock on wood, and I've got some right in front of me for it too. But Christian uh, and I both went to WashU uh, for law school. He was a uh, year ahead of me, and he is running in Houston, Texas, right now for Harris County, or the whole county, I suppose, but uh, Houston's the big city there, for Harris County attorney. Um, and a lot of the work that Harris County's attorney does and the attorney system in Texas does is similar to what um, the attorney general here in Missouri does as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of good uh, conversation there. Uh, super excited to have him on, introduce him to all of you, and uh, let me bring him in. There's no reason to wait. He's right here. He could probably hear everything anyway. So let me get him on. And there he is. Can you hear me, buddy?
1: Hey. Hey, man, uh... Eli, Thanks for having me on, man. Um, I'm super excited. It's been uh, a very interesting time in quarantine with just me and my wife. Uh, so the opportunity to to dialogue with folks uh, outside of uh, her and my two dogs is always something that's very exciting for me. No, that's great. Well, I'm I'm I'm
0: happy to uh, to intrude uh, and be welcomed to do that. So that's that's great. Yeah, we've got uh, here uh yeah my wife and i we were just out on the street but we had the gloves on we had the mask on uh, all that but there are two cats and one dog in this building right now um and i've got my puppy running around there's a lot of animals there's just too many animals man there's a lot
1: yeah it's like a farm over there man
0: yeah it really it really is that's why we need two two different locations thank goodness for some over over uh overfill room but yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to have you on here. Um, so how how are you doing in general?
1: Good, good. Um, you know, it's it's been like I said, an interesting time. Um, you know, I actually was just volunteering earlier today, so kind of getting out and about and seeing mm-hmm. what folks are going through, but you know, through most of my conversations, it's, it's been interesting to see kind of the impact that folks have had, not just from a public health perspective, but also kind of economically, right? Um, and I know that here in Houston, I don't know if you were following kind of uh, the oil downturn that happened a couple of weeks ago when oil was trading negative, but it's yeah. impacted our economy in a very major way. Um, when oil was trading negative, We had companies that laid off, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 of their employees here in the Houston area. Uh, And I think that, you know, as a city, we can do a better job of trying to diversify uh, our our industry and our economy. And so because of that, what we're seeing is folks are kind of in a really economically vulnerable position right now. So it's been interesting to kind of sit on the outside and, and see that. And, you know, the other interesting thing is having just won a Democratic primary but not be the elected official who's governing, you know, I have like a lot of opinions about stuff and how stuff should be done. And so trying to find the most effective way to be helpful without stepping on the toes of the folks who are in office now. Right. Right.
0: Right. Now, I want to talk about all that stuff, too, because that's that's got to be a really interesting uh, position for you to be in right now. Uh, yeah. But if you could, for folks, you know, we've got a lot of folks who are watching uh, in Missouri um, and, and, you know, probably uh, over in Texas, too. But if you could, for those who do not know you, could you could you introduce yourself a bit and uh, let them know what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am Christian Menefee, um, and I am a candidate for Harris County attorney. Uh, prior to running for office, I was a civil litigation attorney, and actually I'm still practicing right now. I've done kind of oil and gas litigation, restructuring litigation, all around, you name it, litigation wise, I've done it. Um, Met Elad and my wife actually at Washington University in St. Louis. School of Law, uh, which is where I attended. Before that, I was at University of Texas, San Antonio. So the position that I'm running for, Harris County attorney, people always ask me, uh, why are you running against our incumbent district attorney? Because they don't appreciate that there's a difference between district attorney and county attorney Mm. here here in Texas. So in Texas, the district attorney is vested with all of the authority to bring criminal prosecutions for all misdemeanors and felonies. The county attorney handles all of these civil matters for county entities, county elected officials and county employees. So it's kind of an interesting split that our legislature decided to enact. Uh, that's different in fact from many other major jurisdictions. So if you look at Cook County out in the Chicago area, they have a state's attorney's office and that office has a civil division, but it's all in the same office, the criminal and the civil. Whereas here in Harris County, Um, which is huge, by the way, Uh, we have this split. So Harris County, if it were a state, would be the 25th most populous state. So the way that I explain it a lot of times to voters is this position is essentially running for attorney general of a mid-sized state. Uh, And it's an incredibly important position that we've seen in recent years. Um, But, you know, really trying to grow it into something that it hasn't been viewed as before. Uh, But, you know, my campaign started about A year and a half ago, and unlike Missouri, we have our primaries in early March on Super Tuesday. So our primary election was uh, March the 3rd, and I was running in a race with a 12-year incumbent Democrat and another gentleman in the Democratic primary. So there were three of us. Uh, We were considered by many to be a long shot to have an opportunity to be successful in that race, Uh, but we ended up winning the primary without a runoff. Um, so just, you know, extremely grateful for the support that, that we received, but you know, the campaign, I'm sure a like, lot, we'll, we'll get into this, but our campaign was largely focused on social justice issues. It had a, a major barrel form lawsuit, which we can talk about a little bit later out here. Uh, and our County was on the wrong side of that lawsuit. And that's what really kind of got me in the game. I started my, I guess political activism in the wake of the string of shootings of African-American men by law enforcement and, and people thinking that they're entitled uh, to the same deference as law enforcement. And so kind of building upon that, I decided to get into this race because I saw that there was an, an opportunity to impact the communities that that I believe in. So mm-hmm. the short of it is, uh, I'm a lawyer running for a lawyer <laughs> position that doesn't exist in a lot of places, and it's akin to attorney general. But yeah. I am nowhere near as cool and as involved as a lot in his pot. Oh my goodness, he's lying! Do you see that? Look, he's coming on the show and he's <laughs>
0: lying already. This guy, I knew in law school, this guy was going to do something like this. Okay, everybody did. So uh, very excited that you chose to. I'm so excited that you did. And, you know, I was reading. About so I've got a lot of friends in Houston. Shout out everybody if you're over there right now um, who do a lot of teaching and uh, you know. So I've been there a few times. I was actually there during uh, Hurricane Harvey. Um, I I don't. I decided to go. It was probably not the best decision, but thankfully you know everybody was safe and we were able to help folks there. But um, yeah, it's it's so interesting looking at the position for like the county attorney system there, because you're right, it it is so similar to what the attorney general in Missouri does um, in terms of all you know, the civil side of it. I mean, there is is a public safety side for the attorney general's office here too, but much of the work is really focused on the civil side of everything. Um, And so I I wonder what is, you know, in, in Texas, what is the relationship between the county attorneys uh, and the attorney general of the state? Like, what what are their different roles? Do those overlap a whole lot? Is there a lot of interaction between those
1: two? Yeah, so great question. The answer is yes, they overlap a lot. Um, so as you know, the chief civil legal authority for the state of Texas and the local governments that stream from the state of Texas is the attorney general's office. Mm-hmm. Uh So this county attorney system that is civil lawyers in the various counties really derives all of its authority from state law, because here in Texas, counties don't have the authority to to make laws. So the way that it works in practice is, for example, if they're in certain consumer fraud statutes, the counties cannot pursue action on behalf of the greater good of the people of the county unless they get the thumbs up from the attorney general first right Mm -hmm. or another way you'll see it is if a lawsuit is brought against a county agency of course the county attorney will be the representative the lawyer for that agency Uh, but in certain instances before they take action they're going to want to get an opinion from the attorney general's office which kind of lays out the state's view of the law right because uh, oh yeah there we go (laughs)
0: that's my favorite we got a furry friend Christian, I'm sorry, but your furry friend is uh, uh, not eligible for Furry Friend Friday in Missouri.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I was asking myself, what if somebody uh, knocks at the door? Yeah. On, well, so second,
0: my gonna, nose, she's looking at me right now,
1: and she's one uh, second,
0: yeah, she sees, she here, she wants to come and meet your friend. What? Bring your friend over, wouldn't you? Come here, bird. Lady Bird's just like looking for where is this dog. That is barking that I can hear so well. Yeah. You want to come over and say hi. All right. Well, mine's here. I mean, she came over. She's like, Hey, what's
1: going on? We chill. So so we have small dogs. So trust me, yours is way nicer than mine is. Um, Yeah. But so, so that there's a ton of interaction and what it results in is there are unique opportunities for a County's civil legal department to be adverse to the state, but more often than not, The guidance is going to come from the state first. Mm -hmm. And there are many instances in which if a county uh, authority or a county elected official is sued, although the county attorney's office will be counsel in that case, the state may like intervene. The state may involve itself uh, in the case and take positions that are either consistent or or inconsistent with the county's position. So, you know, from what I understand from folks who work in the office, there can be some frustration at times, given that, uh, you know, in Texas. We are a red state at the state level, so all of our statewide elected officials are Republicans. And, you know, that would include our attorney general, who's a a very interesting character. Mm -hmm. But our major counties are turning more and more blue. In Harris County, all of our countywide positions except for, like, one are run by Democrats. So, you know, you will see instances—and really, we've seen it with the emergency response to the coronavirus issues, where the state and the county are at odds. And so that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, if we're successful in November, is to get in there and have opportunities to push back against the state as they try to undercut our local control. Yeah, that's that's
0: actually, it's really interesting, as, as my dog is now thinking, it's, it's her time to be in Hey, uh, I see you, Lisa. Thanks for watching. And she's uh, she's really big into dog activism as well. If you are watching right now and you have any questions for either one of us, or you have a comment or whatever, please do leave it. Put it in there. And if we don't get to it on this show live, we will be able to you know write back to you later too. So if anything does come up or you have a point or something you'd like to ask, great opportunity to do it. Um, yeah, it's it's been really you know in in, in Missouri. Um, and, and something that you mentioned earlier, we'll talk a bit more about it too. Where there's like this frustration of running, and in your case, I mean, you've already won a nomination, and now you're looking to like, what am I going to do in that office? And you see all of these things that are happening around you, and you're like, I can't do anything right now. Yep. In in Missouri, it's been really interesting to see um, the failures of different statewide offices not working together and not really representing what people need locally. Um, And, you know, even without a a system that's like this necessarily, although we do have counties that have, you know, different county attorneys and they're doing different kinds of civil matters, really the attorney general has a lot of authority here to do a lot of that coordinated work. Whether he is or not is a different story. Um, My view, he's not. But, uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of like conflicts there where, for example, in voting, which is a very big issue right now with regards to absentee voting. The Secretary of State refuses to say in Missouri, hey, the pandemic is a legitimate excuse to stay home and vote absentee. I'm going to leave that up to local election authorities instead, and then they're waiting for the Secretary of State to say something. At the same time, the Attorney General could release a legal opinion saying, yes, it is. Here's why I think that. Um, or even go to court and get some kind of a judgment so that we can clear this all up. Uh, but instead has chosen to let a private group, including the NAACP and a lot of other groups sue and then oppose them in that. Um, but it's, you know, I, I wonder from, from your standpoint, you know, within the county, what kind of work can you do if you do disagree with what the attorney general might be doing on a statewide basis what kind of what kind of stuff can you do from the local level
1: yeah so that's a great question I, I think that there are, you know definitely issue opportunities to force the issue so we're dealing with the same disability voting issue that you guys are dealing with out in in Missouri so yeah. You know, we have in Texas, we have 254 counties. Harris County is the largest of all of them. And in the same instance, right, the local county folks who run the various elections. We're looking to the secretary of state to make a determination as to whether fear of contracting the coronavirus would amount to a sufficient disability such that you can vote by mail. And our, sec- our attorney general kind of, you know, was actually active on it. And he said, no, it does not. And then the Democratic Party brought a lawsuit. And so one opportunity for the county to take an inconsistent position is the county is the, it, the county legal office, the Harris County Attorney's Office, provides the initial uh, legal advice to the election administrator, which here in Harris County is called the county clerk. So in that initial legal advice, the county attorney has the authority to say, here's how we're going to do things in our county. Like, we think that there is a legal basis for you to say that anybody in the county can get an absentee ballot if they fear mm-hmm. the coronavirus, right? So it's that initial... Uh, decision or that initial legal advice provides that election administrator with the support that they need to make that decision. And then from there, once the issue is in court, we can file an amicus brief, right? So we file the court brief, and, and we explain to the court, hey, not only our view of the law, but let me tell you how this will look in a county that is, you know, almost 5 million people and is, you know, more populous than 25 states, if you don't allow for disability voting or absentee voting on a broader basis than is typically done, Mm -hmm. here's practically how it's going to look. Um, So, you know, those opportunities kind of arise in in various legal formats. But I think kind of the two most important points are upfront when the decision is first made. And so then you put the attorney general's office on its heels and they have to come and now play defense. And then once the litigation is initiated, coming in and saying, no, we don't agree with the attorney general's office on this legal position or practically how this will play out. Right,
0: that's so. You know, I, I try not to get like too into the weeds on this stuff, especially, especially on the show, so much because it can get really complicated very quickly. But the problem is when you talk about voting and all this stuff, it starts to make my my constitutional law brain start to go. Yeah, back. yeah, yeah.
1: Because
0: I, th- you know, I'm thinking like, okay, so if you've got a county and your county says, "Hey, uh, is our legal position." that you can vote absentee. The state is taking a different position from that, but let's say your decision within your county holds for your county. I would think that it's possible, just thinking from like, oh, what what could you do to challenge that even further, that somebody in a different county could say my vote is getting counted differently from somebody in Harris County. I'm having less opportunity and you think about like, you know, equal protection under the law and right. all these other provisions that we have to protect folks, um, in our rights. You know, I, I almost wonder if, cause it seems like to me, that's a really interesting legal opening and it's actually one that is being litigated here in Missouri right now. It's in our courts. And I was just reading the uh, the briefing about it. Um, but it seems really, I, you know, I wonder is as, is there some kind of an association of these different county attorneys too? Are they able to work quite a bit together even outside of what the attorney general or the state, state officials are doing?
1: Yeah, so there is an association of, of county attorneys uh, that links up all the various county attorneys throughout the state in one organization so that they can share information. I'm actually saying that there has been pretty good – um, coordination across the state, not yeah. just with like the civil legal entities, but also with the election administrators. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the reasons why this lawsuit was kind of forced is we didn't want to have 254 different ways of doing things. Um, I think that that opens up the individual counties to to potential uh, lawsuits. Just like mm-hmm. you mentioned. And also, it's just—I mean, it's not good governance, right? And uh, more importantly, in order to expand the vote-by-mail program in a way that has enough ballots to touch everybody, right, there's going to need to be an increase in funding. So when you're making those types of decisions, I think that it's best to do it on a coordinated basis. And if we know that there's going to be disagreement between Republicans at the state and and Democrats running things locally, then you got to get it in court and get a determination. Right. Interestingly, a court— in, in Austin, Texas, has already, you know, they've already ruled on the issue and the judge there wrote that yes, coronavirus is a sufficient reason to request the mail in ballot. And so as it's going up on appeal, then our attorney general releases a letter saying, you know, like all other cases that are pending appeal, that ruling is is not in effect until there's a final judgment in the case and, and finishes through the appeal, the appellate process. We disagree with the judge yeah. and we believe that if you do request a ballot, we will have the legal authority not only to prosecute you, but to prosecute any other uh, individual organization that is advocating for you to request that ballot and to, and to uh, make that vote. You, I mean, you already know the, the whole yeah. song and dance about the... the problem with voter fraud, like the problem that doesn't really exist. Right. But the solution to a problem that is grossly overstated. Uh, But our attorney general has kind of dug his heels in and he's out here telling people he's going to prosecute you if you do what a court in Austin just said you have the legal authority to do. That is wow. Okay,
0: Yeah. Um, We have had I want to say it was Jackson County here because um, different local election authorities are having different interpretations of whether you can vote or not, and uh, you know, uh, th- making threats about, oh, well, this is a felony, and you know we're going to prosecute you for requesting an absentee ballot inappropriately, but then, and we just had a former Missouri Supreme Court justice, chief justice, who wrote a letter that was signed by a ton of, mem- of members of the bar, all saying that this is a legitimate reason to vote absentee, so... You know, it's – it's usually, you know, you would think, okay, well, what happens? We have a dis- – just like you said, we have a disagreement. Uh, what do we do? Well, if you really do disagree and you have a good faith and belief to disagree, then you go to court and you figure it out and you let the courts tell you, you know, here's the interpretation. Here's what we're going to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th- goodness, that's uh, – yeah, folks really – do not want more people to vote especially people who are in power and have been used to being in power for a long time and if they can maintain it that way or they think they can uh democracy and the theory behind it doesn't mean as much for people who uh have been in power for that long or or think that they can maintain it in that way and it's just sad to to think that there are
1: folks who are elected to represent us who believe that um but- well, and that's the good thing about kind of the power of local government because in, yeah. in our state, the county clerk's office, which runs administers all the elections for Harris County, they have already requested and received approval from the county for increased funding to get more mail-in ballots so that they can do a broader vote-by-mail program. So now, it's the state that has to push this issue more rapidly through the courts if they want a resolution that's going to lead to uh, no increased absentee voting. So, you know, it's just another example of the power of the legal advice that's provided to the local government authorities and and also local government having the courage to punch the state in the mouth sometimes. I mean, you know, they put you in in, in these tough predicaments where, you know, you're trying to serve a constituency that is that is fearful of contracting the virus They're, we've seen what happened in Wisconsin when they tried to hold real elections and people don't want to recreate that. And so, you know, there comes a time where you have to stand up and you have to take bold positions, which are going to be inconsistent with folks at the state level. And, and I'm just excited to have the opportunity to do that if we can get out uh, of the election in November. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's great.
0: Yeah. Tell me, okay. So we've got a lot of young folks who are following the campaign um, I know I look like I'm 16. I swear everybody and Christian can tell you I'm not. Uh, but, you know, a lot of folks who are looking, you know, maybe this is the first time they've gotten involved or they're thinking down the road, hey, I want to run for something. But, you know, in your situation, you decide to run um, against somebody who's a long term incumbent. Um, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of folks who were like, what the heck are you thinking about doing? Uh, yeah. what, were, what were you thinking about? What, why, what made you do it? Why did you decide, you know, I know there's a lot of reasons we all get really passionate about things, but what, what drove you to finally saying, you know what, I'm putting my name out there. I'm going to go get this done.
1: Yeah. So I, this definitely was not, uh, in my near term future plans. Uh, I was, you know, practicing at a law firm, I had become president of the uh, local black democratic organization, so the Houston Black American Democrats. I was on uh, a city board, an independent police oversight board, which oversaw all excessive force allegations against officers and, and use of their firearms. So I kind of had my things that I was passionate about, and I was you know, working in those in those lanes, and I didn't re- really have any intention on running for office. And then this bail reform lawsuit popped up. so. The short of what happened is you had misdemeanor uh, arrestees who were jailed, of course, and when they would come up for the probable cause hearings, uh, their bail hearings, the judge would not consider their ability to pay. Right, so these would be low-level misdemeanor uh, crimes, and you know one person might get a twenty-five hundred dollar bail, and if they can't afford to pay it, boom, they're in jail until their actual trial date, and of course. One of two things would happen. They'd either, A, cop a plea deal that would cause them to have a record. They could follow them for the rest of their life. Or, they, B, they would stay in jail until their trial date, which could be six months away, a year away, lose their job, their livelihood, and the process. And so these folks filed a class action lawsuit against the county. And at the time, the majority of the county legislative authority were Republicans. And so you had a Democratic county attorney— which is incumbent that I ran against, and you had a bunch of Republicans who were running the governing body. Well, the office took the position that these practices were completely constitutional um, and they lost at the district court where a Bush appointed federal judge mm-hmm. held that the county had committed tens of thousands of constitutional violations. Uh, and I really didn't get into the egregiousness of the stuff that the judges were doing, but in addition to not considering folks' ability to pay, they would do things like somebody would come up for the bail hearing. They're not allowed to have counsel there. Mm-hmm. And so the judge would, there's one example where a judge asked a question and, and the arrestee says, Yeah. And the judge says, No, you need to answer me, Yes or No. And the woman says, Yeah. He says, answer me yes or no. She says, yeah. He says, OK, your bail just doubled, mm-hmm. right? So they, they, These are type of, of, of uh, unjust circumstances that were going on. So the county said these practices were constitutional. The gentleman who I decided to run against was kind of the leading advocate for that position. Um, they, they made nonsense arguments. Like, one of the most egregious arguments I read in one of the transcripts was, well, Your Honor, it's not that poor people are in jail because they can't afford to get out. They're in jail because uh, it can be cold outside sometimes at night, and they prefer the warmth of a jail cell to being on the street. And when I looked at this blue county and me being a young African-American man uh, who comes from like a middle class background, you know, I have family members, friends who have been swept up in the criminal justice system. It's something that I became extremely passionate about. And when I looked at our county and kind of saw how we're represented, it made me think, well, somebody needs to do it. And Mm -hmm. so I to a mentor of mine and he's like, yeah, get I gave him a list of people I thought were young and dynamic and and could take it on. He's like, there's a name missing from the list. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, who he's like you, you know, in typical, like, you know, Mr. Miyagi sensei fashion. (laughs) Um, and, and so anyway, from there, I just never looked back. You know, one of the benefits of running in the race that I ran was it, it was more about the principle than it was about achieving any type of particular goal, like, or notoriety or anything for me. You know, I was running an issues-based campaign. I never said a single negative thing about my opponent uh, personally. And so for me, it, it felt really good to run a campaign that was about issues that I knew that I was truly passionate about, that I could talk about intelligently, and that would get other people fired up. And that's exactly what we saw. I mean, we would go to places. And when I walked in, People are like, oh, my gosh, how dare you challenge a Democrat in the primary. And by the time I walked out, you know, we had gained probably 40 votes and endorsement in the whole nine. Uh, So it was just a really exciting thing. And, you know, being so I'm I was 31 at the time and my opponent was 71. So 40 years junior uh, to my chief opponent in the last race, uh, there was Definitely a lot of people out there who thought, oh, okay, well, this young black guy, one, is not going to be able uh, to beat the incumbent, but two, even if he does, when he's not going to know what he's doing. Uh, so it, it felt really good to shock a lot of people. And I know that, you know, this wasn't just me, it was a team of great people. And it was really, you know, building a movement that was based on issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's really great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm super excited, obviously. But, um, you know, I. I so Houston, Houston Houston, is home for you, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was born in California, and my parents are uh, Coast Guard. So I've, I've lived in like a bunch of different coastal cities. But we moved to Houston when I was in elementary school. We left for a couple years and then came back. But I did middle school, high school, all out here in Houston, then went out to college in San Antonio, went out to St. Louis for law school uh, with you, and then came back. And I've been here ever since. So for yeah. me, this was... You know, it's a great point because, you know, when I was talking about criminal justice reform, this wasn't just some idea or some uh, event that was highly disassociated from my life. I mean, like I said, these were my family members. These were the communities that I had been working in for years. So it was issues that I was very passionate about. So it, it felt really good for me for our issues to be validated in such a major way mm-hmm. by county voters. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think...
0: You know, because we had very similar uh, reasons for running in the first place, and, you know, for me, and a lot of folks, you already know my story in terms of being in court and, and arguing about, you know, fairness in our our justice system and our campaign system and making sure that people's voices are actually being heard in our government and just seeing like how that wasn't happening and having that background. I think having that background being, you know, from there and seeing how this is impacting so many folks that you know makes such a big difference because now you have that emotional connection to those issues. So you are always more interested in seeing those issues further than you are in seeing yourself furthered. And right. I think that that's really, you know, it's such a, a strength and such a, a, a reason why you are really supposed to be doing that in the first place. And, you know, it's great to see see folks who are who believe that and are doing it for the right reasons, um, you know, succeed in the, the electoral system, too. So, um, you know, what I guess what was having now won the primary, uh, you know, faced an uphill uphill battle from the beginning, what do you think, you know, were things that you learned along the way, something that, you know, you started out thinking, oh, I'm going to have to do this, but you would had to do it a little bit differently, or just advice that you would give to somebody else who's in your situation, who's sitting there and is seeing all this injustice happen around them, and really wonders how in the world can I, I change the system, and then somebody's looking at them and saying, well, what are you doing today? Are you going to run for something? What, what kind of advice would you have for a person who's in that boat right now?
1: Yeah. So one, I think it takes a certain level of of courage. Um, You know, there are always going to be a group of whether it be establishment folks or deeply entrenched political folks who are going to say, look, you have no clue. What are you doing? Like, I can vividly remember this attorney who actually works in the office um, telling me and several of my friends, like, look, this guy has no chance. You're all wasting your time. Uh, So those things are going to be there. But you have to kind of not Really give any credence to the naysayers and and have the courage to kind of to kind of push forward. Um, you know, one thing I learned is the power of crafting your story and telling it in a way that is easily understandable to folks and that really tugs on their heartstrings. So you know, I I used to do some variation of the same stump everywhere that I went, and. I mean, I'm just, you know, I have a military family, so I'm very kind of organized and like I'm very much about having the same routine over and over. But one of the things I I thought was powerful about it was the way that we kind of just told the story. Like I start off very quickly talking about my background, but in a way that's relevant to the office, then going to the issues and very quickly talking about solution, like problem solution, problem solution, drawing a contrast. Uh, And you'd be surprised how many people uh, who were running for office who really, at least in my opinion, didn't take the time to kind of think that through, uh, yeah. before they, you know, and, and truth be told, like, in my opinion, stories win a lot of votes. Um, mm. you know, when I think about like the great politicians that I was drawn to as an inspiration, it's more often than not, it's something about their story that you connected with. Um, so that was one part of it. And then another part of it was, I think that you gain a certain amount of uh, community credibility when you've already kind of done some work uh, in the community that you're seeking to lead. So, like I said, I was president of uh, the Black Democratic Organization out here, and then I had also served on the, on the city board, but I had served on the board of some other nonprofits. But you know, for me, I had always looked at politics as a lane where virtually nothing is getting done. So I'm probably, more likely to be effective getting out and doing the work on my own. Uh, and so, I, you know, I cut my teeth uh, at least from like a legal activism perspective, going out, doing pro bono work for folks, uh, volunteering in communities, being vocal on issues. And that's another thing I learned is I was really shocked at the number of people who would say you know, I'm just grateful that you said something mm-hmm. about this thing that I believe to be an issue because I really felt passionately about it, but I just couldn't pull the words together. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think we forget sometimes a lot that like, you know, you went to law school, you did a great job, you learned how to write in a certain way, how to convey your words in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And every time you speak, and that's probably why like your social media is always so booming, right? Like every time you speak, you're not just speaking for a lot, you're speaking for you know 100 200 300 other people and and you learn kind of the the importance of saying those words even if you may not feel like you're immediately getting anything out of it even if to you it's sufficient just to text to a couple of friends when you say those words aloud you pull people in because they feel like someone's speaking for them so you know it, I, I learned a lot just about how to be someone that people are looking to as a leader because I feel like my role has always been to kind of lead but from the sidelines not really trying to be in the limelight Um, but you realize that in this game I mean you don't you know people want you up front they want you leading they want to be able to to count on the fact that and you kind of mentioned this before we went on live today right if if x happens people are expecting you to say something about it now right because you've put yourself in a position to speak on behalf of a lot of people and so you know that's something that you just I mean you don't like there's no practice for that. There's no study guide for that. There's no yeah. book for that. One day you woke up and said, I'm going to run for uh, attorney general of Missouri. This is going to be crazy. People probably won't believe in me, but I'm going to speak my truth. And over time, you just got comfortable learning your voice and, and speaking in your voice. And so, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I learned is if you see an opportunity to affect change, you got to jump, you got to speak in your voice. And when it's time for you to lead people and they're asking you to lead, you can't be afraid of they to step up and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's 100%. 100% agree. Yeah, it's, uh,
0: you know, when I, when I decided to run, it was literally in a courtroom, having been become very upset with the fact that someone was like, oh, well, we've already got a way to deal with, you know, uh, corruption or politics, the Attorney General could just come and do this. And I'm looking around the room, I'm like, where the heck is the Attorney General? And having worked right. there, you know, that gives you just like you said, like, you have a connection, you have an understanding of, of how the system works in a certain way, um, you know, and, and for me you know i think folks who are in this like political sphere those ones who who think they know how everything works and they've got a lot of experience there oftentimes and they oftentimes do and they have you know really great words of wisdom and everything else but then they look at somebody um you know like us and they're saying oh well maybe you should have done something smaller you should have started somewhere else or you should have been Oh, every time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right and it's just like like <laughs> oh yeah I mean, we're not going to trust you you're only 30 something and how are you going to do this but the thing is like we, we know because because of that experience, right? That experience, even if it is different from what other people have had before, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's different. And if you look at the system and, and the fact that it's not working, maybe it is time for something different, you know? Um, I, I feel very strongly about that. And what's even more interesting in this race in particular— is that of all the folks who are running for the office, I actually have the most experience at the attorney general's office. And people look at me and they don't think that, right? The first thing right, in their right. head is like, mm, no, but yeah, actually it's, it's very true. Um, and so, you know, just knowing how things work and, and where things move, I think, again, just to what you're saying about story, it helps you understand the situation better, communicate it better to other people and explain what that vision is looks like, um, for you, what does that, what is that vision? So you're there, you're in the office, it's your first day. Uh, what, what are you doing? What are you doing for the people of Harris County? Um, people of Texas and heck, heck the whole, the whole country, you know, folks are going to be looking all over the place at you. Um, what, what is it? What is it that you want to get done?
1: Yeah. So right now the office has, It primarily focuses on defensive litigation, right? So lawsuits against uh, county elected officials, county employees, county entities, and defending those lawsuits, which is like, you know, the chief legal obligation of the office. Uh, One of my goals is to build out the affirmative litigation wing of the office. And so in in recent years, the office has actually done a pretty good job of, of bringing impact lawsuits to try to better life for the people of Harris County, Um, you know, some of the major cases that they're a plaintiff in the opioid MDLs and the opioid like massive litigation that's going on. Yeah. Um, They had uh, a lawsuit. Uh, They were part of the the Volkswagen uh, ignition switch. Uh, legal matters. So, I, I want to kind of have a more systematic process for bringing lawsuits on behalf of the people of Harris County um, in a way to better life. So, you know, building out the environmental practice, they actually have some really good lawyers there who have developed this expertise in filing lawsuits for violation of environmental laws. You know, Houston is the energy capital of the world, uh, as as said by many, mm-hmm. and. What we've seen in the past couple of years is a string of plant refinery explosions. Uh, last year, we had two like within a couple of months. It was a really big deal. And actually, a trial for one of those plant explosions is going on right now. It's a criminal trial. Um, but you know, the Harris County Attorney's Office has really kind of approached the issue of every time there's a major explosion, they will file a lawsuit in order to uh, get an injunction, remediation, and so on and so forth. I, I really want to try to build that practice into something that proactively looks at uh permitting, um, and ways to ensure that highly unsafe, highly at-risk facilities are either having penalties or being mm. shut down before it turns into a massive plant explosion. Yeah. Uh, building out consumer fraud uh, practice, so having you know a practice that is dedicated to going after scammers and fraudsters, the example I, I would always tell uh, on the campaign trail is my brother purchased a car from a used car salesman uh, a couple of years good. Ago. i can already tell this is gonna be good yep yeah it, it, it's like the beginning of a joke right? <laughs> yeah, they all start There's yeah three guys in a bar right yeah so my brother purchased this car from a used car salesman and before he buys it he asks him like is there anything wrong with it? is the transmission fine the guy says nothing wrong with it. transmission is fine of course he drives it off the lot five miles down the road on the freeway it stops transmission is shot and it, to get it fixed is like almost the full value of the car mm-hmm. Uh you know, our county attorney's office has legal authority, statutory authority to go after that used car salesman for a violation of a law that's called the Deceptive Trade Practice Act. So building out that practice to go after scammers and fraudsters. Um, and then, you know, for this kind of high profile litigation, making sure that we're on the right side of it, you know, uh, our office— had used these um, public nuisance laws to file gang injunctions uh, over, like, the past several years. They haven't done it recently. The last one they did was in 2015, but after the community. Basically, these lawsuits are the county files lawsuits against— in this particular instance, 90 young African American men asking a court to prohibit them from being in their very neighborhoods because of either an arrest or an allegation that they are a part of a gang member and participating in some criminal activity. Mm. So it's like, you know, clearly trying to circumvent the criminal beyond a reasonable doubt burden of proof. Yeah. Because what they do is they just ask a civil court to issue a prohibition, right? You can't be in this area. So uh, this office had used these laws to file a gang injunction. They recently had a prostitution injunction where they they're asking a court to prohibit or or penalize not just the pimps, not just the Johns, but also the women, many of whom have been confirmed to be victims of human trafficking. Um, So, you know, these major cases, they may only come around once every couple years, once every few years. But when they do, they get like national press. They're incredibly important cases. And where our county legal department stands in those cases is instructive for the rest of the state, but also for many large counties across the nation. So making sure that we're on the right side of that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I plan to be very intentional about pushing back against uh, state overreach. You know, uh, a buddy of mine at work is an extremely conservative guy, and he always talks to me about the principles of subsidiarity, right, which is uh, we should govern at the lowest level possible because those are the folks who are in the best position to understand the needs of constituents and to effectively get something done about it. Um, Welcome back. Yeah, yeah, no, the dog's still going crazy. Um, <laughs> right, right, dog. So, you know— <laughs> He, so he and his Republican counterparts, he says, are like very much believe that subsidiary is a way to, to practice governance. Mm-hmm. Well, now that the state of Texas is being run by Republicans and local government is being run by Democrats, right. now they start to sing a different tune, right? right? It's Well, we actually don't believe that local government should make this decision and that decision. And recently, our, our former Speaker of the House for the state of Texas was— caught on a recording basically declaring war against the counties and the cities and uh, t- saying that I want the next legislative session to be the worst session in the history of the legislature for counties and cities. So what that means is we're going to need strong legal departments in our major counties who mm-hmm. are prepared to fight back uh, whenever the state takes some absurd legal position that disproportionately harms large cities or minorities or, or other you know groups that tend to be impacted by Republican policies. But it also means like being a more active advocate during our legislative session. Our legislator in Texas only meets uh, for five months out of every two years. So that means that I need to have my tail in a car at the state house, um, (laughs) advocating for positions that are beneficial to the people of Harris County. Like in the last session, they passed the law that capped damages for uh, environmental violation lawsuits brought against businesses, right? Mm -hmm. This type of nonsense is going on in Austin. But what you didn't see was our Harris County attorney, the chief Legal elected official for a county of almost five million people in Austin, testifying against that bill while it was in committee, and so that's a way that I plan to be more active. So you know, there, like I said, there are core legal functions that the office must do, and it will continue to do. But I think kind of uh, the more impactful, the more sexy stuff at the margins is where there's a lot of room for improvement, and that's where I plan to focus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know it's exactly right. Um,
0: You know, folks. It's like we're listening to what's happening in Missouri at the same time. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I think I think from you know the position of an attorney is really at the core of it being an advocate in some way, right? Yeah. And and here you are, you are the advocate for your county, and I think that the biggest. It's so interesting because it's almost like. A throwback to what the very foundational elements of being an attorney is, but just having somebody who does show up, who is present, who is our voice, um, who is there—you know—speaking on our behalf and understanding the issues that we're going through. I think is just so important, and you know, maybe it's just something that you know are really seeing—you know—some kind of a cyclical issue in democracy where you know, you, you've you had it that way. And then, you know, we kind of got a little bit lazy about it. And then it was really easy to kind of, you know, give this bill to some lobbyist or some think tank or something to write the law. And you don't have to really read it. I just, you know, I get the check and I talk about it. And, you know, here we are. And we're in a situation where folks are, are rightfully very upset about that because it hasn't led to great policy outcomes anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that you know for all all of the uh, bad mouthing that folks do i I've, I've even gotten this comment where it's like oh yeah we need another attorney elected to office and i'm like i'm running for attorney general like, he kinda, like it kind of like has to be an attorney yeah it's 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 a little little bit of a uh necessity so um that would be helpful but yeah i think i think just kind of that basic advocacy is just so important um so yeah uh,
1: and it's it's yeah, not, actually that's right in- yeah I think that's right, and, I, and look, I think people are getting frustrated. You know, yeah. So I, I always, when I think of like the average Joe and Jane, I always think of uh, my well above average supernatural parents. But you know, it's funny. I was talking with my mother, um, who is kind of she's like moderate. She voted for like W, but then for Obama both times. And she was telling me that like the most appalling thing that she's heard all year was that our lieutenant governor suggested that you know some of our older and, and medically vulnerable populations would be willing to make the sacrifice of like dying so mm. that our economy can open back up and, and business can go back to, to being usual. Yeah. And, you know, she was kind of so incensed at his comments. And, you know, when I talked to her, I just knew that the next time she votes, she's going to be voting for being the, the other party for everybody. Right. She's voting only Democrats. And I think that it's just kind of reflective of when one party runs things for too long. And, and especially in a state like Texas, mm. they, take stuff so far to the extreme that it provides an opportunity for folks to come in and say, no, we need a, a discussion about like going back to reasonable norms. Like I, I expect to disagree with Republicans on a lot of stuff, yeah. uh, but some of the stuff that we've seen in, in responding to the coronavirus and and how like states have responded to policies that have been encouraged by President Trump, I just think has driven them so far out into the land of nonsensical that at least I'm hoping in the state of Texas— uh, we'll be able to be competitive again. And by the way, a recent poll had Biden up on Trump in Texas. Really? Uh, and all, all my friends have been laughing at me. Every time I tell them Texas is in play, they don't believe me. And I'm like, I'm telling you, Texas is in play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of folks nationally are talking about that right now. Um, unfortunately, they don't think Missouri is. So, you know, we're not going to get anything here. But uh, that's the problem. I mean, a part of it is, I, you know, I think there's a big problem of folks are ignoring states and then they're, oh, well, you know, you can't, we can't do anything there anymore. And when you don't put resources into it, uh, I mean, in, in Missouri and you know, folks all over the state, I visited, goodness, before this happened, 409 different events around the state, everywhere. And whether you're in the party, out of the party, eh, whatever. I mean it's it's pretty obvious to see that, oh well, there's a little bit of a dysfunction in our organizational structure here and right. oftentimes because we lack resources and folks aren't investing in that. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy over time. But uh, what's great is to see, you know, what what's happening in states that have, you know, done a lot of this grassroots organizing and a lot of this work and, and focus on local elections too. And I think that helps you know, that helps you really build up to i think i think you know wh- whoever you're voting for in an election i think we all benefit if it's more competitive and there are more folks who you know from different perspectives that we actually can hear and there's more balance in our system um which is interesting because we just got hold up we got a question from uh rob a few of them okay i'm gonna put this one on the screen let's see if i can do this i did this one time before and it worked Great. Okay. Yeah. So look at that. You can see the thing on the screen. They're getting all fancy here. Yeah. Uh, So yes, the pod, this is all on YouTube. It's live there right now and it will be there afterwards, but it'll also stay up on all these different sites. So if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you are um, and then the question, so in Missouri, we passed a constitutional amendment that is just in line with what we're talking about now. Uh, It was amendment one also called clean Missouri and uh, we passed it. Uh, by an overwhelming majority of Missourians, uh, we passed it to uh, change a, a bunch of ethics reforms. So there are a bunch of ethics reforms in in this package, and then it also included redistricting and trying to make the system literally inserting the terms uh, competitiveness and fairness into some of the criteria for deciding. Hey, where am I going to draw the district instead of just drawing it to make sure that the incumbent stays in power? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and right now, actually, Which is our, a
1: practice that's as old as politics itself.
0: Exa- yeah, exactly. Right. And and actually, it's, it's interesting because in our legislature right now, despite having been called in to deal with the budget and the crisis and everything else, they've decided to deal with uh, a lot of other things, including attempting to legalize brass knuckles for some reason in Missouri. Um, wow! Yeah, because that's a priority, you know. I mean, all those brass yeah. knuckles yeah. out there really gotta get those going. Uh, in case you know, maybe the virus is susceptible to, to to a brass knuckling. I don't even know what you call that. I, I think you just punch them with your hand, maybe or something. But anyway, uh, yeah. So so right now they're trying to actually reverse what the people of Missouri voted for um, in order to pull back uh, these reforms. And you know, I, I think it's. It's something that a lot of, you know, and you've seen it, I've seen it in just in the elect, electoral side of it, but there are folks who are pushing back. Um, and in answer to you, Rob, what, what are the chances? Um, you know, I think that they're going to put it before the people for a vote. I think that they're going to push really hard to do that. I hope the Senate gets, you know, decides not to let the House's attempts to to do that go, uh, to just go forward. But uh, if it does, yeah, I think people are going to look at it. They're going to vote and they're going to say, no, we we voted just voted on that in 2018 for a reason we would like to see our election system work better. So yeah, I I don't know what they're doing necessarily. And I think there are a lot of folks who are conservative and would tend to vote Republican and in their favor. But when they see stunts like that, they start to not want to do that. And I, I, I think that you're exactly the example with your mom is one of those examples. Um, of folks, just you know, we we want the system to work, and if you're going to start to take your power and abuse that power, nobody wants that, no matter what party you're in. Um, okay. So I think that's a definitely an issue. I got another question too. This one was 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 via text message. So Michael, if you're still watching out there, um, he uh, his his question was about um, voting because we were talking about voting a lot, absentee voting, and. He's, you know, been hearing a lot of folks who are looking at what's happening with the United States Postal Service right now, and seeing that there's, you know, some mixed messages coming from Congress and from uh, the executive branch about uh, uh, whether. Uh, oh, Michael's there. Great, hi, Michael. Uh, so, uh, yeah, whether. You know, on on the one side, you've got a president who's like, hey, maybe maybe we we don't really need the post office anymore. We're working too well. Uh, other sides are, are, are saying, yeah, that's it's a really essential thing. Um, and so the question is, you know, if if you start to take folks who are loyal to you and you start to appoint them in different offices, obviously, that's that's what happens a lot when folks take over uh, one position or another. Uh, but then there's a big question about whether, uh, you know, the voting process is going to be affected, uh, as a result of that kind of management with the United States postal service. Um, I know I have some views on that personally. Um, uh, and I guess I'll let you jump in too, but, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot, I've been working with a lot of local election authorities in the state of Missouri. So I can't tell you what's happening federally. Um, and a lot of groups that are trying to make the absentee ballot process easier and all that, um, I have confidence in the USPS. And, uh, you know, there's a union that's very strong there. There's a lot of folks who are very dedicated to their jobs. And so I think that if you have a leader who you're worried about, Um, you know, I think that there are going to be a lot of folks who are going to be very outspoken on those issues. Um, I am concerned that if we don't fund the United States Postal Service appropriately and we start to cut back on services, as we have seen in many rural areas of the country, then you might start to see some significant issues about delivery, especially since this is a time-sensitive thing, and you've already got local local election authorities that are stretched because we're not helping them plan for mail-in voting. So I think more of that struggle and those challenges are going to be in those logistics and making sure that we do have a fully funded system that makes sure our vote is counted, uh, versus, you know, who might be running it. But then, you know, if you've got somebody who's running it, who is trying to, to, to ruin the postal service, then you've got some issues. But I do think that there's going to be, uh, a pushback on that at least from the union there, and hopefully from from anybody else who thinks that I'm hoping that this is just rhetoric and ways to kind of keep us not paying attention to issues or maybe it's a way to negotiate something with Amazon. I don't know. I really don't know what the heck is going on at any given time um but yeah, I don't know if you've been hearing anything like that, any criticisms like that too um on your end or, or folks who are talking yeah, about
1: i I've, I've heard the arguments start to be raised I mean you know i I think. Okay, so as a starting point, there are states out there that provide a mail-in ballot to every single registered voter, right? There are states out there that permit every single registered voter to request a mail-in ballot, and then after they mail it, we'll, we'll send it off. So we know that, like, the Postal Service is capable of doing this because they've been doing it in the states, right. um, in certain states uh, in the country. Um, you know, I, I think that the Republicans have started to kind of push this narrative uh, because — I you know, to their credit, I do think that there are going to be some process issues. You know, and Harris County is a good example. In states that have more restrictive absentee ballot procedures, you know, when you broaden that out, we have to, like I said, not only increase funding, but they're going to see an exponential increase in the number of votes that they are sending through the mail that they're processing. So I think that there will be process issues. But, I mean, I I Mm -hmm. don't—that should not stop us from expanding access to democracy, uh, and, in short of any intentional, uh, undermining from these folks, I would say that there will be delays, but um, that is hundred percent reasonable given the circumstances that we're voting in. Right, right.
0: And I, I, you know, and another thing, um, is that for a lot of the absentee voting, it's not just through the mail too. Um, I know in, in Missouri, they're, they're currently, you know, designing these plans so that you can also walk in like right now. Well, not right now, but just before this election, um, you can walk in, you could, you know, submit your absentee ballot because you weren't going to be there on the day of the election. Um, and that was, you know, another way to do it. You could also mail it in. Um, but what's really great is for, for folks who are in Missouri, And if you're watching, I'll put this link in the comments, too. Uh, But votemissouri.org, Missouri, Missouri all spelled out, votemissouri.org is a website that our campaign put up to help you apply for an absentee ballot if those aren't coming to you already. I know some counties are sending those out, uh, or at least request forms out uh, to folks already. Uh, But it does have all the contact information for your local election authorities. And we do have an association of local election authorities that is pushing very strongly to uh, you know make this a safe way to vote and and ideally for some reforms too. There's another week of our legislative session, so we're still going. Hopefully, we'll do something about that. Um, and I'll talk a bit about that tomorrow, I think, in the video too. So make sure to check that too. But um, yeah, I, I think it's we you know and uh, at least in our system, there's a Republican, there's a Democrat, there's two folks who are always looking at all these different ballots. So there is, you know, checks and balances within that system already, but it's, um, yeah, we should expand, expand it, and uh, make sure that we are able to vote. So great question. Thanks for thanks for doing that. And if you know anybody who's having these issues or is talking about these issues and they want to talk to somebody, uh, if they're uh, over in Houston, go get Christian. (laughs) If they're not, come get me. We do have a Houston, Missouri, by the way. Uh, So if you are watching from Houston in Missouri, welcome. It's a
1: Sounds like a great, great city.
0: Yeah, right. It's doing, it's a fun time. Um, Yeah. So I'm trying to see if there's, oh, here we go. This is a great question. Okay. Um, We, (laughs) I don't know if you saw, but the attorney general Missouri decided to sue the country of China. So uh, he sued them for, uh, uh, actually, it's a really interesting complaint. If you'd ever like to look at it, I can send it to you but uh, for for creating a nuisance and for hiding all these things about the coronavirus and causing a lot of economic damage to uh, the state of Missouri. Um, I've talked a lot about this. There are immunities for, uh, you know, suing a a different nation. And America has signed on to that because uh, we don't want to also be sued as a country by everybody around the world who's, you know, got this complaint, that complaint or another. Um, and so right. normally the way that we deal with international relations, and I also study that in undergrad too, uh, the way that we deal with that is on the international stage with this country talking to that country and another one. Every once in a while you can sue another country if there's something, you know, about uh, corporations and all these kinds of things. But uh, not like this. So in Missouri, the uh, the lawsuit that was filed by our attorney general has actually been heavily criticized, not just by me, uh, but also by uh, attorneys for Donald Trump. uh, Has also been criticized by the National Review, which is a well-known conservative outlet, and uh, it is a massive waste of money and time and resources, especially given that one, we're in a very big budget crunch right now as a state, uh, but two. There's a lot of other things our attorney general should be doing, one of them, including protecting our right to vote, another one, protecting folks who are working in these meatpacking plants, of which we have a few here in Missouri, uh, making sure that we are going after scammers and price gougers and all of that, but instead, you know, we've got time to sue China with this fake lawsuit. It's a fake lawsuit. Um, so,
1: yeah. It's, yeah. I, I read about it. It's nonsense. Um, yeah. You know, I, I posted about it in my uh, Instagram story and I got a bunch of people responded like, wow, this guy is really suing yeah. uh, the country of China on behalf of the state of Missouri. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, obviously to the point you made, like, this is what the State Department is for. Right. Like <laughs> this is the very purpose of, of international relations. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how he would go about proving any of the the allegations on behalf of the state of Missouri, right? Like, are it? I, I mean, I know that you can conduct discovery through like some international convention, right? But, like, yeah, yeah what, what evidence are you going to seek proving uh, a cover up? One and two. To the extent that we want to, like, sue any government for its response to uh, the coronavirus and the outbreak, uh, I'd say maybe we want to start with the federal government here in the United States. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just very bizarre and I would say not even from a legal perspective, just from, like, an average Joe perspective. uh, Seems insane. Even our attorney general wouldn't do something that bad.
0: (laughs) So he puts this lawsuit out. I know. He puts this lawsuit out there thinking that all of these other people are going to join and even these like, you know, more middle of the line or even like left leading commentators are saying, well, I'm sure we're going to see this replicated all over the country. And you're totally right. I mean, the Attorney General of Texas is not signed on. In fact, only one other state has signed on to do it. It's Mississippi. Um, that's it. Oh, and uh-huh. there are a lot of other Republican states out there and none of them are signing on to this thing. You know, in in, in my view, I'm just looking at it. And I'm wondering, I, you know, I used to work at the attorney general's office. We have wonderful staff members, wonderful investigators, wonderful attorneys. Uh, I cannot tell you that our investigative capabilities are better than those of uh, uh, the FBI or the CIA. And so I, I sincerely doubt that uh, the state of Missouri has more evidence than the federal government has right now on whether China did
1: something wrong that we can sue them for. Uh, and it, I'd be willing to bet every dollar in my pocket, that it's all, all based on public record, uh, yeah. that, that the, the entirety of their allegations are based on what they've read in news reports. Right. That's exactly right.
0: It's it, 100% correct. And, uh, it's, um, yeah. And, and those news reports are changing by the day. So.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I just saw a headline like a couple of days ago saying that, The uh, Trump administration is starting to backtrack on its position that, like, coronavirus was created in a lab somewhere in China, you know, which is is a nonsense position from the beginning. But, you know, it's I mean, this is the problem with with relying on uh, media reports to support your lawsuit. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So that's good. General litigation tips for folks. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, I, I this has been great. Uh, We could talk all day as everybody is probably watching. No, we actually went over time. We usually don't do that. I try to keep it in, but we did by a few minutes. So I'm sorry, folks, Uh, but uh, this has been great. What do you have? Any any last words you want to tell folks? Um, Anything you'd like to shout out? You got the camera for a little bit, so you let them know. I've got the website ready, so if you want to plug that, you let me know, and I'm going to put it on the screen. I will do that for you, sir.
1: All right. Well, uh, again, I'm Christian Menefee, running for Harris County attorney. So if you're watching this and you're in Harris County, Texas, would love to earn your vote and your support. Uh, The election is, of course, November 3rd, 2020. It's a general election. I already won the primary. Uh, But if you are in Missouri, I need you to vote for Eli Gross uh, for attorney general. Um, I will say that having just run a campaign, I've seen a ton of campaigns and their work on the ground, on social media. And Alad is by and far the most uh, effective on social media by far. But you know, you look at campaigns, you can tell when the candidate, has kind of a certain conviction of actually trying to change things for people, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we see very clearly in your candidate for attorney general. So, thanks. Uh, support my man. I already gave him some money, so I'm on his campaign finance reports as a supporter. Uh, but I'm extremely grateful for you having me on, man. Um, and Caitlin's sitting over here watching TV. She says hi.
0: Oh hi! Why did she come on? She doesn't want to come say hi. Amanda Kelly just said hi to both of you, by the way. So,
1: Caitlin, do you know what Amanda Kelly? <laughs> Oh, yeah. She said, oh, that's her cousin.
0: Oh, that's what, she, yeah, that's what Amanda said. So, hi, Amanda. Thanks for, see, for coming to the show. Yeah. See,
1: look at that. I'm you viewers, man. Don't I get like a percentage of the proceeds yeah, uh, from okay. the viewers, all, man? Yeah, okay. All the proceeds.
0: Look, all the proceeds. Look, you can give some proceeds to Christian right here. You see the website right down there. Give him some proceeds, okay? Love and then me. you can give me some proceeds over here, too. You can email me. You know my website already, so everybody can find it. Uh, but yeah, no, seriously, I I am also on Christian's report. Uh, go to this website, give him some support, uh, check him out. He's doing great work and, uh, no, this is wonderful. Thanks for coming on. We'll have you coming back. And I'm going to tell you this right now, uh, after we win, uh, our elections, uh, we'll be working very closely together on making sure that we get a whole lot of these issues fixed. So uh, I'm, really I'm looking forward to it, bro. Looking, I'm really excited about it. So, well, folks, uh, thanks for coming to the show. I'm going to put up uh, our end screen as I always do. But before that, if you are around uh, today, check out. Hold up, let me get this up. We have a text party today at three o'clock, like we do just about every Saturday. So you can go ahead and register right now at alladgross.org. That's the website. Uh, go ahead and register. Right there, um, and you'll be able to join our Zoom chat. We're actually doing a new kind of texting format today. It should be really easy, really great, really exciting. So come in and join, and uh, as always, you can find us all over the place. So we are here at AliveGross.org. We're on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all over the place, all the time. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll be putting this out as an audio podcast uh, the Alad pod, which you can find in all of your podcast locations, wherever the heck you get them. Um, so check for that in the next few days. All right, folks, if you've got any comments, you're seeing this not live, or you're listening to this later, that's fine. Leave your comments. We'll find it. We'll get you answers and you all stay safe and take care. <music> Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check us out at alladgross.org where you can connect with us on social media. Send me an email. Send me any questions or ideas you've got for the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We will see you next week on the Allad Pod.